This is a podcast from Nordic Center in Shanghai. Located at Fudan University, Nordic Center is a platform for education and research collaboration between the five Nordic countries and China. And in this podcast, we showcase some of our activities in various academic fields. Back in the second episode of this podcast, we interviewed two scholars on China's aspirations in the Arctic region: the University of Oslo's Islin Stansdal and Fudan Development Institute's Arthur Gushin. And in this episode, Arthur is back. This time with a lecture for economics students from Gothenburg University, which is part of a series of lectures on Chinese society that Nordic Center organized for them. The lecture discusses infrastructure investments, resource extraction, and shipping in the Arctic along the Northern Sea Route, and China's role therein, including perspectives on the Belt and Road Initiative, which is Beijing's signature foreign policy. Accompanying the recording, you can find Arthur's presentation slides from the lecture. Link to in the podcast section of NordicCenter.net. Okay, so welcome to the first、uh, in this five-part series of lectures about、uh, Chinese society and politics.、Uh, today we will be learning about the Belt and Road Initiative and China's interests in the Arctic, in both, I guess,、uh, economic and、uh, political aspects of that. And we have just the right person to be talking about this topic, Arthur Gushin. He's from Russia and is now a、um, visiting scholar at Fudan Development Institute, which is another kind of think tanky、um, department at、uh, Fudan University. And Arthur specializes in especially infrastructure investments、uh, in the Arctic and the dynamics between the major power players, Russia, China, and、uh, Europe and the U.S. in this region. So please welcome Arthur Gushin. To give this lecture. Yes, thank you, Marcus, for introduction. Yes, my name is Artem Gushin. Originally from Russia, but I'm working also for Norwegian Forum. It's a think tank, Apropos News, specialized mainly in the Arctic affairs. So、uh, I'm in charge to provide focus on Chinese、uh, investment in the Nordic countries, especially in Norway. So, and, but today I will talk about One Belt One Road Initiative and the Arctic. So,、uh, one belt, one road. It's a big concept initiated by Xi Jinping, the president of China, just to unite、uh, China with the rest of the world in terms of economic and trade. And、uh, recently, he decided that、um, China also needs another shipping route through the Arctic waters because the ice retreats every year. Just also to boost the trade between、uh, Shanghai port, Dalian port, for example, Shanghai big ports, to、uh, Nordic countries. So when you talk about the、uh, Arctic economy, please、uh, be sure that you are talking with the right person, because Arctic is mainly about the economics. Those who、uh, can tell you that he or she is specialized in geopolitical science in the Arctic. Or any geostrategic science in the Arctic, it's、uh, not very correct because in the Arctic economy goes first, and then we can have a political dimension, a politics to arrive to the Arctic、uh, area and to negotiate. So,、uh, Arctic economy consists of uh, uh, seven points: that's oil and gas, shipping, communication, infrastructure, shipbuilding. Military expenditure and ecological assessment. Today we'll talk、uh, mainly about oil and gas and shipping because it's、uh, of particular importance for China. So, 
if we um, combine uh, the first six um, issues, we will see that the overall expenditure for Arctic will be more than $5 trillion uh, within the mid-term perspective. Of course, not initiatives will be uh, invested, but some of them will be for sure. So, oil and gas. Uh, on this diagram you can see how much oil and gas resources are right now in the Arctic. Of course, these uh, kind of data are preliminary because um, still a, a lot of Arctic area is under the ice. So, and uh, countries like Norway, Russia, they don't have enough 2D and 3D uh, facilities to investigate. Uh, probably uh, you are from Sweden, so probably you, you may know about Statoil company from Norway. So the, it's drilling in the Barents Sea, and uh, despite the fact that Lundin also, a Swedish company, uh, also in cooperation with Statoil, they haven't found uh, anything on the new licensing round. So like, no uh, oil to extract. But on previous assessments, they had it. So uh, the main uh, resources are on the Russian coastline, offshore and onshore. So you can see it's almost 55% of the overall so when we talk about oil and gas, we are talking mainly about Russian resources and the U.S. resources. But there's, there are some differences. Russian resources are not so easy to extract under the current oil prices. So uh, preliminary assessments of the extraction price in Russia is 90 dollars per barrel. But in Norway and in U.S. it can be cheaper, twice cheaper, like 45. But according to some uh, optimistic statoil assessments, even 35 in the Barents Sea will be great, and they can proceed. So there is a map of uh, oil, oil and gas resources concentration, like red dots is oil, yellow gas, and black coal. Don't pay attention too much to coal because it's like an old uh, old style assessment in the modern world, especially for China because of the environmental policy, but please look at the concentration of oil and gas, so red and yellow dots. So, in Norway we have it in the uh, Barents Sea, because it's Arctic, and in Muslim Sea it's not Arctic. We have it in Iceland, like two, uh, two areas. We have it in Greenland, but it's very hard to extract, but China is very interested in it. We have it a lot of uh, uh, LNG, it's liquid natural gas, in the US and enormous resources in uh, western part of Russia and also in the uh, eastern part of Russia. It's not on the map right now because uh, nobody knows how much and how to extract it right now because it's very complicated. And then there is another uh, table just from the US uh, Geological Survey. It's uh, very reliable data. Uh, about the overall um, estimations and uh, in, in the Arctic. So you have seen that the, the territory of Russia, the territory of uh, Canada, and the whole Arctic region. You see there are uh, almost 90 billion barrels of oil. It's uh, almost like 43% uh, of the current uh, extracted uh, amounts. Let's have a look on this map once again and see where China is interested in. So we have China there in the US, I'll talk about it later. We have China in Greenland, we have China in Iceland, I mean Chinese interest. We have China in Russia, 
and once again in Russia. Okay, just to understand uh, who is doing business in China in terms of the Arctic, we need to look at the main um, contractors, main stakeholders. All of them are state-owned uh, state companies. So we have the China National Petroleum Corporation and its logo. We have uh, Silk Road Fund. These two uh, actors are closely working together under the One Belt and One Road initiative. So please uh, well, you give write an it down. Well, you give more in detail about Belt and Road. I would understand, sir. Could you say something about that now? Yeah, I will say it yeah. in a minute. Then we have Sinopec, it's another petroleum company from China. We have China Export and Import Bank. We have Bank of China. We have China Investment Capital Corporation. It's a very big organization that is managing uh, billions of dollars every year in terms of investment, investments. We have China National Offshore Corporation, which is very active in Iceland and Greenland. So, as I said, Previously, all of Chinese Arctic investments are state investments. And there, um, there is a small introduction what this company are doing and what they want in, uh, in the Arctic. So if you take uh, a look at uh, petroleum companies, they are all interested in LNG, in liquid natural gas, to export to China just to substitute uh, coal use with gas because it's much cleaner. Because right now, uh, Chinese coal consumption and we experience this kind of smog because of coal, burning coal. So, and all uh, Chinese banks, they provide uh, loans just to get the revenue. For example, these uh, three companies, uh, these three uh, banks, they uh, poured a lot of money to Russian government that in order to realize one grand project, 23 billion in Yamal. I will talk about, that, about it later. So, uh, the U.S. Arctic oil and gas. Um, there you can see yeah, in orange that's the main territory where uh, there is a possibility to extract oil and gas. And uh, well, this uh, December, China and U.S. and Alaskan authorities they signed a memorandum of understanding to invest together into a big uh, LNG facility in Alaska. That's actually for the first time in the US history. Because previously, President Obama decided just to quit this territory, to close this territory in order to preserve the nature and the way of uh, indigenous people life. But Trump decided that it's not uh, good for US economy. So he appointed Mr. Tillerson as a state secretary who was previously uh, the head of ExxonMobil. That's why the stairs are now open, and it's a big treaty actually for Norway and Russia, I mean for oil, uh, for LNG, because it's much easier to export because of the short distance LNG from Alaska to China, than from Norway through the Suez Canal or through the Northern Sea Route, which I'll talk about later, and from Russia. So, and they have some figures, Actually, that's, uh, there will be a plan. It looks really like simple to build a LNG facility in Alaska, but it uh, takes a lot of uh, money, actually 40 billion in uh, pre-assessment dollars. And we can see that 
Three uh, Chinese actors are involved in this project. China Petroleum Corporation, uh, CIS, and Bank of China. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. If, we, uh, if China exports LNG from Alaska, it's not only a closer distance, but it's much easier for them to, um, to transport it. Because if we, they use the Panama or Suez Canal, there are a lot of quiz, despite the fact there are two trains, like two ways in Panama right now. But still, and uh, um, the expenses and the cost of uh, a quiz there, like $45,000 per day, if the ship cannot proceed further. So, uh, let's have a look at Russian uh, Arctic resources, where China already invested uh, more than 10 billion euros, or I'm sorry, dollars. So that's the Russian coastline, and it can be. Uh, so you can see, Chinese are here, here, but they want to be also there, there, and there. Russian coastline can be defined into two parts: uh, uh, western and eastern. Western part is already developed, so it's easier for Russian and uh, Chinese to communicate whether to invest there, because. Um, there is uh, not much ice uh, during uh, winter time. Because when we talk about Arctic, we talk about uh, and shipping or extraction, we talk about only about uh, summer months, like from July to November, only four months per year. But if you want to extract on an annual basis, you need uh, access to this Arctic waters almost all year um, around. So that's also very um, important to, to mention for those who are not in, uh, so interested in the Arctic yet. So that's uh, Russian Arctic actors. There are mainly three companies. All of them are affiliated with the government because if you want to invest in strategic assets in the Arctic, you need to negotiate with uh, Russian authorities directly. So all of them are good friends of the current Russian administration, I mean the heads. So they have money, they have uh, political support, they have almost everything. So it's Rosneft, it's Gazprom, probably you've heard about these uh, names in the mass media, and Novatec. Novatec among them are the most uh, successful company because it uh, has already secured Chinese investments and uh, on 97% developed the first Arctic construction site. It will like a pioneer and very sophisticated uh, technolog technological project. So, let's have a look. Uh, I've made this map um, just uh, for you to understand where are the resources. The resources are not on the, are not onshore, they're offshore. So you need to install a special platform. I'll show you the pictures later, just to extract uh, the oil there. So you put a platform in the sea. It's, in winter time, it's all covered with ice, like very uh, thick ice. And you need uh, special tankers just to go there with the assistance of uh, nuclear icebreakers just to extract oil. So this mainly the areas. Um, it's, in reality it's very huge, very huge. So you can drill there like different, uh, like up to 100 wells. Yeah? I'm not sure they're familiar with icebreakers. Can you just say a little bit about how few there are of those? And, and yes, I actually have slides yeah. and, and photos of it. If we can let me proceed to icebreaker capacity. Yeah. 
That's actually Russian icebreakers. So uh, the newest one is like 50 years of victories, this one. Like the mightiest, it has like 55,000 horsepower and it can break almost all ice uh, on the world. So Russian icebreaker fleet is the mightiest in the whole world. In, uh, but uh, Finnish, uh, Finnish icebreaker companies, they say that uh, not all uh, icebreakers in the world are Finnish, but Finnish has the best one. So still it's an open question. Always in, uh, in talks with uh, Finnish uh, uh, shipyards. But still, there we can see uh, icebreaker capacity. And in reality, it looks like this one. So it's a Russian uh, nuclear icebreaker. Uh, during summer months, it carries uh, Chinese tourists to the North Pole. It's, uh, it's very expensive, but still rather profitable. But uh, during the shipping, uh, winter shipping, uh, it provides a pass through the ice for uh, bulk carriers, it's like special vessels and for container vessels and LNG vessels. But uh, right now, uh, uh, South Korea commissioned uh, first four LNG uh, vessels to transport LNG to, to Korea, so they can break the ice by themselves. But during the very harsh conditions, of course, they also need the assistance of an icebreaker. So uh, right now, uh, Russia is very well occupied with icebreaker capacity. That is the key for uh, further art development. But as the modern ships, they become so wide in the hull. So they need just to upgrade icebreaker fleet once again. And each uh, icebreaker of this type costs around one billion dollars. So it's a big like burden on Russian budget because no one can sponsor it except uh, like state, state money. So, and now, uh, so you, you can see now, uh, there is a pass in Arctic waters. So, so it's in winter time, or oh, sorry, it's in summer time. So they have an icebreaker and then um, a ship just follows this way. So in some, it's very, in some months it's very simple. So it's an icebreaker and just go this. And this, the picture is without uh, like wind. So it's uh, like very stable weather, how to say, very predictable. But when the wind comes, it becomes like a real mess because uh, even if you have so, such a powerful ice, uh, icebreaker, you can go like 60 kilometers in three days. So it's absolutely different. So you can't prognose when we will come to the port. That's actually one of the concerns from uh, Chinese shipping companies, how to develop this kind of route on a uh, constant basis. But at night, it's absolutely different. So it's an uh, Arctic, Arctic night, and you can see the ship only if you have a big like projector, big light, very powerful. Because it's, it's maybe I can switch on the light, and you understand how how difficult to navigate in uh, Arctic waters at night and in summer. So you see this kind of uh, uh, LNG vessel that carries gas, inside liquid gas. So it's very wide and hull, but uh, also very say, mighty, but still it's, it's a big problem. Because if this um, LNG vessel or oil vessel just collapse somewhere, or it will have like the damage from drifting ice, that can be expected. 
So it will cause a big environmental uh, loss, not only to like environment, to flora and fauna and Russian coastline, but also to uh, Nordic countries because of the potential damage. Because all this kind of uh, chemicals will be transferred to Norwegian waters, to Icelandic, to Greenlandic, and on to, all to the other direction, to the US. So, and right now, the countries, they simply do not have this kind of agreement among them, how to measure potential and real damage. Because before, like 10 years ago, no, no one was interested in the Arctic affairs. So when I started this kind of research, there was also uh, was a pool like around like maybe 10, 12 people. But uh, if you will go to an international conference in Reykjavik, like the, the best one in Arctic research, you will see like 2,000 people right now. So it, there are a lot of speculations in uh, among researchers and also among politicians about one belt, one road and, uh, and the Arctic. So I have another pictures. So you see, if you switch off the projector, you won't see the, the vessel. And that's uh, the commission of a new icebreaker from Russia. It's called the Arctic. It's, uh, it has a wider hull, that's what I'm talking about. So it can carry more uh, ships in a caravan. And to make the pass through the ice wider. That's <coughs> very essential. And here you can see the model carrier for Arctic constructions, uh, commissioned from China, from Guangzhou shipyard. But it's owned by Dutch company. But still it's the first uh, experience of Chinese shipyards to construct sophisticated vessel uh, for the Arctic. So when we talk about China and the Arctic, uh, China has more presence in the, in the Arctic than any other non-Arctic state right now and even, even better uh, presence than the US. Because in the US there are only two very old uh, and not so powerful uh, icebreakers and not nuclear. But that's the concept of uh, like a super new, like leader icebreaker from Russia that costs uh, up to two, $2.5 billion. It's, uh, it's not a great yet to construct, but it looks very cool. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like uh, more of a Norwegian design. They have that kind of uh, stuff. Uh, but uh, even uh, to develop this kind of vessel, you need, for example, like six, seven years in a row. But to, um, to do all paperwork, it also requires almost two years. Because if you make just a small mistake in this kind of vessel, it will be a big uh, damage for environment and also for political uh, image of Russia. Because currently there are no uh, nuclear incidents in the Arctic from uh, nuclear icebreakers. So let's uh, proceed further and come back to oil and gas. Is this clear right now? Or you need any kind of further explanation? explanation? And there we have um, the Arctic platform. That's how Arctic is uh, Arctic oil resources are, ext are extracted. So there is an installation. It was built in um, on a shipyard and then carried, just floating to to this permanent state. It uh, like pumping oil uh, from uh, from the ground. There is usually several supply vessels in the area just to 
prevent uh, ice, damage the platform, so it's just circulating around it and crushing the ice. So it will be easier for platforms to, to sustain this kind of pressure. And so we have high, high ice class vessel that are built in South Korea from Dell shipping. Probably heard about Dell. So it comes uh, to the platform, the vessel, and then put uh, a special port to pump oil inside. And in a very high, uh, hard ice conditions, there's also uh, an icebreaker on duty. It's not nuclear, it's uh, like electrodiesel, because it's uh, possible for them also to break ice. So, and that's uh, the whole process how it goes. So first of all, before this kind of platform uh, were installed, there were like test uh, drill wells, just to see how much oil are there and gas. There is another, uh, there is the same installation. You can see there how many ships uh, are on duty every day just to make the platform function well and to do not uh, have any kind of incidents. Because uh, right now, right now, unfortunately, the Arctic industry doesn't have uh, Arctic drones or underwater robots to monitor the platform uh, on a 24-hour basis. So they need just to use around like six, seven ships, supply ships. And that's another platform of a kind of an old type. But it's uh, like the, uh, the world's northernmost oil terminal in the world. It's on 21 kilometers from offshore. It's owned by another Russian uh, company, Luke Oil. And it has the same structure, actually. But it's uh, less reliable uh, under the current ecological uh, index because during the very heavy floating ice, it can damage it. So that's a big concern of WWF. That's why you probably heard that Arctic sunrise, it's uh, from Poland. They came to Arctic waters, Russian Arctic waters, and just make some, some noise there, and also in the breast. So, um, Arctic oil and one belt, one road. Uh, mainly, uh, China is focused on this kind of project. It's, uh, it's called Yamal LNG. So we have uh, a stake of 29.9% from China to extract uh, uh, gas and to transfer it, like 3 million tons of it, to China. Of course, it's not enough for China at all. It's like a very it's small drop to substitute uh, gas with coal, but uh, it's just the start. And if you are economic students, you can be interested in this kind of uh, data uh, and figures, how many millions of dollars were put in this project. This table shows you um, another possibilities for China to invest into the Russian Arctic with the second train of Arctic LNG and LNG3. So this project will be cheaper than 23 billion uh, dollars, but it will have the same, almost the same amount of extracted oil per year. And the Chinese uh, involvement will be from Chinese China's banks, from and from uh, oil companies because they provided 
uh, models, for example, like parts of the factory to, 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 to Russia, because right now Russia doesn't have a student process of building like the grand shipyard, which can uh, also serve uh, the oil industry in the Arctic. So that we have uh, the three, three figures. Uh, three figures. Uh, one is Chinese gas uh, uh, consumption is 210 billion uh, cubic meters. And uh, it's like an overall consumption. National production is 140 billion cubic meters. So uh, 70 um, billion cubic meters should be imported in order to meet Chinese demand for gas right now and to make China cleaner. But of course, Arctic oil, uh, as I mentioned, like was like 3 million tons per year uh, from uh, Yamalanji. So that's why China is very active to lobby its interest in the US offshore, in Russian offshore, and also in Norwegian. But with Norwegian, there is a big problem because of the uh, you know, uh, Nobel Prize a winner. There was a big, big, big uh, disruption between uh, Beijing and Oslo. But right now it's getting smoother and smoother because at least they can talk right now on a governmental level. So probably we can have uh, in a mid-term perspective some uh, Chinese companies as minor partners in the Boring Sea drilling. Uh, the main question uh, that it always appears on any kind of Chinese talks with other partners, how much uh, dividend tax reduction can be. So right now in Russia they pay 10% of dividend tax, uh, while uh, Total, it's a French company, who, which also uh, has a stake in Yamal LNG project, pays only 5 so if we uh, monitor this kind of uh, figures in mass media or during the uh, bilateral uh, negotiations, we can then predict further Chinese involvement in, into the Arctic. So, as I told Norway, another actor in drilling in the Arctic, um, but with much better positions in terms of revenues. So. Nor Norway, they are pioneers in reduction costs in Arctic industry. And that's the map of uh, uh, Norwegian oil and gas resources. So it's mainly in the also offshore and also in, uh, in the Barents Sea. In green, you can see the, uh, the petroleum activity is uh, open. For, for Norwegian and um, foreign stakeholders. So when we talk about shipping and one belt, one road, we should understand that uh, desire of President Xi Jinping to have ice silk road and uh, economic feasibility of this kind of shipping, there's, there there's a big, big gap. Because uh, in my research, and my uh, uh, like daily research, uh, I'm meeting a lot of uh, uh, businessmen who are doing Arctic uh, investments uh, on an annual basis, and they say that all this kind of political talks is no more than just uh, a, a Chinese dream to have it. Because in Russia, uh, the, there is an understanding that the Northern Sea route 
is only for uh, Russian resources. But transportation of Russian resources, of course, the idea to transfer 80 million tons of resources every year is feasible, but it will be Russian carriers, Russian bulk carriers, LNG carriers. So they can just simply uh, move it from west to east, to east to west by themselves. Why do they need like Chinese to come and to have this kind of uh, pie share? So uh, when next time you will see any kind of mass media articles about the possibility or any chances of isolated road, you should take into account only economic matters. Could you give them sort of a little bit more of a general introduction to the shipping routes in the Arctic and how that's changing? Or sorry, if you're going to do that. Again. Yes. Yeah. So there is a. I've just started with okay. like <laughs> the main idea, and then I have maps. Yeah. So right now, the only feasible route to in the Arctic is the Northern Sea Route from uh, uh, at the Russian territory, nautical miles territory. The other route is like trans-central route, but it's uh, a mid-term perspective and can be opened in 2050. Uh, the less developed route is through United States and Canada. So there's also no possibility in the uh, future. So when we talk about shipping, we talk only about like Russian Northern Sea Route shipping. And then on the next slide, I'll show you why. Because of the sea, or oh, well, I'm sorry, of the uh, ice. So in from 2006, there were a lot of ice in the Arctic. So you can see that it was very, very hard to transfer only with icebreaker support through the Arctic water. But according to like world scientists in ice, we see that in 2040, from 2040, we can have almost no ice on the northern pole. So that's why. Uh, <laughs> A lot of uh, polar bears and a lot of uh, tourists worry about how they will step on the top of the world in 2040. So you will see this kind of proof. So right now this kind of uh, route is visible, so you can use it, but not only 12 months of base. Only at least nine, but it is icebreaker support. Icebreaker support is very, very expensive. That's why insurance companies and shipping companies just don't want to, to use it. But it's obligatory to use it in Russian waters, just to avoid um, uh, vessel collapse. So, and why the Chinese talking about the Northern Sea Route? And President Xi Jinping is going, went to, to Russia to talk about it. That's because of the distance. Right now, uh, China is uh, shipping all, all the stuff to Europe using the Suez Canal and the Strait of Malacca. The Strait of Malacca is a very unique place because um, there is based the seventh Navy of the US. So in any kind of a political mess, this uh, route can be blocked by US uh, Navy. That's why China is seeking another uh, routes both on land and on, I, uh, on sea to transport goods just to be secure. It's called diversification. That's, that's why it's building a lot of roads through Mongolia, through Kazakhstan to Europe this way, through Russia, like two will be two corridors, but mm, no agreement reached yet. 
And that's why they're also very interested in the northern Cerule. So since the distance is shorter, but we should take into account like insurance and uh, predictability of the route and to have a kind of um, constant schedule of uh, resource transfer. Moscow is the biggest uh, shipping company in China. It conducts several test, test uh, sailings via the Northern Sea route from uh, port of Dalian and Shanghai. And there you can see the chart of uh, this of this route, just to make you understand easier what I'm talking about. That's uh, that's the vessel uh, which uh, tested the northern sea route. It uh, doesn't look so modern as uh, nuclear icebreakers, uh, a new one. But it's it's still it's a, a multi-purpose vessel. It can carry both uh, dry bulk and also containers and models, but still uh, it has ice class, but not the highest one. The highest one is nine. It has three, three, three or four. So it depends. This one. All these are oh. operated by Russia. You mean icebreakers? Yeah. Yes. Only by Russia. In, uh, on the Northern Sea route, uh, you can use only Russian icebreakers. That's why uh, Chinese, uh, several years ago, they failed to establish a joint venture to build Russia-China icebreaker. Yeah. But China has one icebreaker, right? Yes, it's it has, China. but it's not actually an icebreaker, it's an icebreaking research vessel. In 1993, uh, Chinese uh, came to Ukraine and say, oh, you have a very nice vessel, do you want to sell it? <laughs> like icebreaking vessel, they say, okay, no problem, because that time, that was the, like two years from the Soviet Union collapse, all countries from Soviet Union uh, struggled to find the right economic model, so it was a good bargain for, for China. And right now, so they purchased this vessel, moved it to Shanghai, it's based in Shanghai, uh, moved to Shanghai and uh, upgraded it to some extent. It's called like Snow Dragon, Xuelun in Chinese, and but it's not enough for Arctic operations in a long-term perspective, so that's why China is cooperating with Finnish uh, shipyards, for example, Hacker Arctic, to build a new research vessel. Uh, probably they will start next year, but it's also like closed information. I think that because not of Finns, because they already have submitted all uh, documentary and papers, because of Finnish or of Chinese uh, investments. It doesn't cost a lot of, uh, I suppose, uh, we have numbers from 200 to 300 million dollars, so it's, it's nothing for in the Arctic research at all. So on this map uh, you can see the ports in the Russian Arctic that can be used for, uh, used as service bases if the ship is traversing the northern sea route. But the problem is that these kind of ports are, are very old and very small. So if you want to have uh, a stable uh, container shipping, for example, in the future on the northern sea route, you need to upgrade. And there i show you a map also with uh, the use interests, how to traverse northern sea route since uh, uh, 
uh, Asian companies, Asian shipyards, uh, uh, don't want to construct ice class vessels because they're expensive. They want to use uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, transshipment hub in Aleut Islands just to uh, send all uh, goods there. Then Rus Russians or will take it on a special vessel, ice transit, and move to Europe. But the problem is that it's uh, U.S.-Russia relations. That's one point. The other point is that nobody needs actually a lot of uh, goods in a port in Europe. For example, when a container vessels uh, travels in the Suez Canal, it can offload and unload a lot of containers on it. So in one port it can be like 100, in another port it can be like 20. So it's economy of container shipping. But on the northern route there is no ports actually that can absorb all this amount. So you have point A and point B. And in point A, for example, in Rotterdam or in Amsterdam, there's simply uh, no uh, final consumers of like 18,000 containers at all. That's the main problem. When we talk, so, so when we talk about the Arctic shipping, we talk about mainly about the transportation of resources. So no containers at all. And those who are interested in actually in numbers, I can uh, show the slide later with calculations. Uh, what, which type of container vessels, like TU, can be profitable on the Northern Sea Route uh, in comparison with Suez Canal or in a combination model, since you are an economic student. Um, so another very interesting project to have a transshipment hub in the Arctic is Iceland, but it's still uh, under the question. Uh, because Icelandic people, they are keen to negotiate with uh, German, uh, German uh, Bremen port authorities to construct a big transshipment hub for trans-Arctic uh, route, like in a, in a perspective of 2050s, but still uh, nothing is on the ground. I mean, real construction, they have only environmental assessments and still looking for investors because this kind of port will also requires like billions of dollars. So you see, when, um, when we traversed the Northern Sea route to carry goods to Europe, we came to two main like ports, to Kirkines and to Murmansk. And then we need to travel uh, uh, to transfer all this kind of amount to continental Europe there. But how to do it? Because there is only like several regional roads that are not very interconnected with each other. And that's a plan, like a new TNT plan uh, of uh, all countries' transborder connections in order to absorb this amount of goods from China. But still, it's uh, haven't received all, uh, all investment. But still, there are some upgrades in Norway, still some upgrades in Finland. I'm not sure about uh, Sweden, because Sweden is not very active in the Arctic affairs right now. But uh, uh, Oslo, or I mean Helsinki and Stockholm, they are always doing a kind of combination. So if uh, Sweden wants something in the Arctic, it communicates with Finland, Finland communicates with, um, <laughs> with, uh, with Norway, and then they like trying to elaborate on something. That's their main idea. But, uh, uh, but Copenhagen doesn't want to co communicate at all. <laughs> they are also not very active, like dance. So uh, there I put uh, six uh, like 
topics that uh, will be on the agenda um, in the mid-term perspective in Arctic affairs. So if you are looking for a kind of um, future MA thesis or PhD thesis, you can use one of them because they will be they will be uh, very uh, very hot. So it's drone technologies. It's a component for Russian Arctic shipbuilding industry because right now Russia is struggling to have sophisticated drilling facilities because previously uh, Russia bought it from uh, from the US and from European countries but right now there is embargo of any kind of technologies to Russia so digitalization of trade uh, it's called blockchain technologies and so on if you heard about it Alternative marine fuel production uh, is also of high importance for, for for Nordic countries because right now I've heard that there are uh, uh, formula, I mean oil formula, to provide uh, a marine diesel that is uh, environmentally friendly from wood and bio waste resources. So you don't need to add any kind of oil inside. So it's also great. But uh, also it's very specific questions. But when we talk about the Arctic, we also talk about some contradictions because um, all coastal states they have their own uh, 20 uh, to 200 miles nautical zone, the, the territory of, of uh, countries. But under the water, there is also an extension of continental shelf. So Denmark, Russia, China, and the United States, they submitted to the UN several uh, several estimations that this kind of territory is also their territory, sovereign, I mean national territory. So uh, and there we have a situation where the Northern Pole belongs to Canada and also to Russia and to the US and to, to, to Denmark. So uh, in like 20 years there also will be debate who will own the North Pole. Because if you own the North Pole, you almost um, um, own all Arctic resources. You are, you own a lot of, uh, you have a lot of military opportunities to threaten in other countries, because uh, the, if the missile flies through the northern pole, it can easily reach any kind of uh, territory in the world. So for military guys, it's very important to have presence there. It, uh, and also, it uh, it costs a lot actually to have military presence in the Arctic, so it's very good for those who are lobbying this in the White House or in the Kremlin. In Kremlin. Can I just ask, you, yeah? you know um, Svalbard, it's this uh, Norwegian island far north, mm -hmm. you see it there in the, in the yeah. map, it's a huge island, but it's, it's governed by this treaty that also gives other countries access to do economic activities, but also bans military presence. Uh, and, and Russia has a huge presence in Svalbard, I think there are more Russians uh, the Norwegians, uh, does that, even though it's currently not militarized, does that somehow play into the, the uh, potential military dimensions in your view? Because they're losing money from their activity there. They're not actually making money in Svalbard. Yes, but the, the, it's okay actually for Russia. It's always uh, wasting money <laughs> when, it, when we talk about military expenditures. But uh, we can, like, I mean, Russian authorities can leave Svalbard alone, actually, because it's already established eight uh, bases on the whole Northern Sea route, so it just doesn't need Svalbard. So it can be like Norwegian territory. But if, just imagine if there's like missile, potential missile flies to 
Canada or to the US, uh, yeah, it's much shorter to fly. But so why are the Russians in Svalbard? Because they're, I mean... No, because, uh, because it's, uh, how say, it's very close, it's a territory that is very close to Russian maritime border, mm -hmm. so and they decided just to just to negotiate in this way. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, otherwise there will be another like tensions between Norway and uh, Russia. Yeah. Not only on uh, NATO track, mm -hmm. but also in like bilateral talks. So that's the case. So that's that's all. I hope uh, you understand <coughs> everything. So please uh, ask me questions. I made it as simple as possible. Um, yeah, uh, for you. I was gone now for a minute, so I'm not sure if you touched on it. But the UNCLOS, the United Nations Convention mm -hmm. Law on the Sea, did you did you already talk about that? Or? No, no. Because that's also an important sort of legal framework governing how the Arctic uh, um, is well governed. How does that play into the resources and who owns the, the resources? Could you just okay? Resources UNCLOS uh, states that any ship can go to the Arctic beyond the twi 200 nautical miles serene zone of Russia or Iceland and so on. So that's and all countries agree on it. But at the same time, as I showed you on a, on this map. These nautical miles can be easily like extended, and then we have a situation when uh, Russia or U.S. or Canada, they will have or, or Denmark, they will have a big share of this kind of territory in the north, and no one can just come in and do anything to like research or fish and something like that. So that's the point. And China. And China currently is also lobbying um, the, uh, to pre preserve the current state of UNCLOS just to have an access to Arctic waters. My question would then be why would UNCLOS change? Why would the definition from the coast, and that's a continental, it's not an island, right? Or is that a differing interpretation from different countries? Well, uh, there is a definition like open waters. So if you have high north open waters, it's open for everyone. Mm -hmm. But also you have like the territory of uh, Russia or on water. Yeah. yeah? But then what you, you talked about ownership or which country would own the North Pole. If UNCLOS is in effect, why would anyone be able to do that? Wouldn't it remain? It can be actually changed. Changed. But it depends also on UN actually, because if UN just say, okay, this territory is like uh, US or Russian because of uh, estimations mm -hmm. that were provided to the UN uh, this year. So even close can be changed. Could you also mention maybe some, because I know the, I don't know what the debate in Sweden is, and obviously Sweden is sort of sealed off from the Arctic waters because of Norway and Finland. Uh, but in Denmark, uh, there's a lot of talk about Greenland and potential Chinese investments in Greenland. We've yeah, like extracting rubies yes. and oil. Yes, and actually for Sweden, let me start from Sweden. Um, Chinese, uh, they already owned uh, an Arctic satellite station in Sweden. And Swedish uh, people, they cannot assess it because it's like a small territory of China in Sweden. Yes. 
you just can't come in and say, okay, what are you doing inside your satellite station? Because it's closed. And that's the main like contradictions. Because if this kind of satellite station will be implemented also in Greenland, so China will have the whole coverage of Arctic waters with its own national uh, space system, Beidou. So Sweden has ceded part of its territory to China. What kind of no, 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 no. <laughs> it's it's uh, <laughs> it's just a station. Uh -huh. But okay. according to Swedish uh, uh, researchers, uh -huh. they can't assess it. Okay. So we simply don't know what's inside and what kind of software is installed inside and what kind of people are working inside. Maybe they are just simple researchers, ordinary researchers, or they can be from PLA, like People Liberation Army. And when Denmark realized this kind of situation, they say, okay, Greenlandic authorities, please don't sign anything. Because if this kind of installation will be in Greenland, and you know in Greenland there are two uh, US uh, bases, so it will be like a big, big trouble for the whole NATO bloc. So that's why actually Russia and China, they cannot agree on um, signing an agreement on the data weather, data and ice conditions data transferring. Because if China will have it, it will somehow damage uh, national interests in case of potential conflict. Yeah, Arctic is not only about investments and oil and gas, it's also about the military. But, uh, but it's a good thing for Sweden that um, there is a program like Visit Arctic, European program Visit Arctic, and a lot of uh, Chinese tourists come to Lapland to see Santa Claus, and they also have joined uh, programs with Sweden to go to Skellefteå, if you know this kind of district. Yeah, and then to go to Norway. So, but according to last year, uh, Chinese uh, spent around like $150 million in this uh, Arctic region of uh, Scandinavia. I oh, know. Nordic. Uh, Nordic, yeah. But, uh, but for China, in terms of national negotiation, that's nothing. So uh, that's the case. But it's uh, good money for local communities. And it's also good for local authorities to lobby more roads or maybe railway one day. So that's the case. And probably uh, Chinese will invest more in uh, bio plants in uh, Lapland. They've already uh, invested 2 billion euros in it just to make uh, biodiesel for Finnish, uh, for Finnish uh, economy. So probably uh, uh, Sweden can also attract uh, Chinese investment there. But right now uh, Sweden is not very active, so that's the point. <coughs> Both on governmental and regional level. Uh, do you know why they're not very active? Uh, yes, this is an open question. I also ask them. Every time I met them on uh, conferences, I say, why? The only like green light in this, uh, in this shadow policy in the Arctic is uh, building uh, offshore or uh, onshore wind farms in the Arctic. So uh, just to have more clean energy in Sweden and then to transfer uh, some to European countries as Denmark do. Actually, the problem with Sweden is because they don't have an access to Arctic waters, so they can only cooperate with Finns. And uh, Swedish economy is very small, 
because it's only like five million people living in Sweden. Okay, ten, but it's still it's, still, it's just not a lot of. Come on. But if we like uh, take into account uh, the regional level, like an Arctic level of uh, Arctic territory of Sweden, there's not so many people, and all businesses is like mi micro scale. There are more people in northern Norway, way more people, because of various policies than in northern Sweden. Northern Sweden is like basically empty. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, in terms of people. Yeah, that's why there's no one can log it for it except like tourism. But tourism is not on the agenda of China at all in the Arctic. It's Maybe it's not on the political agenda, but if you look at the number of tourists, I mean, I was in Iceland last year. Never seen so many Chinese tourists per capita, uh, and you just mentioned the North Pole that there were Chinese. But is that a, who's operating the Chinese tours to the North Pole? Is that the Russian icebreaker? So you just can book uh, a ticket for icebreaker, mm -hmm. and then they will transfer you to to the North Pole, where you can so see the polar bears <laughs> and. Uh, but, uh, but uh, also it's a, a small, very small, very, very small part of uh, Arctic economy that's in comparison with resources or shipping or with else. After I've told it uh, last uh, last year, Chinese tourists spent only one, one, one hundred and fifty million dollars in, uh, in, in Nordic country. That's not so much. It, it's, it's even not enough to construct a, a proper um, fast speed connection between Keflavik and Reykjavik. <laughs> so you need to take a bus or a taxi. Yep. Yeah. Um, I have a another question that's a little bit off the uh, economic track. Yeah. Um, but still very much related to the Belt and Road Initiative and, and Russia and China and also the uh, ice. Um, Silk Road? The ice Silk Road. Very yeah. nice conversation. Um, so your picture that you find is very realist, very competition-based, and um, very much in like only like security interests, also very military. So I wonder, is there any perspective that you see that would be for cooperation in the Arctic region? And like I don't know the Russian position of your eye very well, but is there any interest? Um, Russia cooperate with China. Yeah, there are actually a lot of interests, especially Think from beyond, like sheer economic <laughs> profit. No, that's like the main driver mm. of China-Russia cooperation. You know, China and Russia they signed a strategic, uh, they have a strategic um, relations, mm. almost on all aspects in the world uh, policy. But in the, when we talk about the Arctic, it's mainly about the investments mm. in Russian gas and oil resources. Because shipping, as you see, everyone is doing uh, this kind of research and uh, it is posting a lot of opportunities for China, for Japan and Korea to traverse the Northern Sea route in order to carry goods to Europe, but that's not true in reality. Mm -hmm. If you talk to shippers, to shipping companies, to forwarders, to port authorities, and to insurance companies, it's actually what I'm doing. So there is no way for investments. But cooperation is open in terms of research. For example, Arctic Research, uh, Norway and Russia, they have a very good uh, uh, record track in this kind of uh, activities. Actually, maybe, maybe the best one in the history. 
Yes, that's, that's the point. But there is actually not so much uh, cooperation if we um, if we judge it in terms of like practical outcomes. Mm. Because like like uh, seven years ago, there was even uh, a contradiction among Nordic countries because Denmark wanted to lead the Nordic uh, nexus in the Arctic without attracting inviting uh, Helsinki and Reykjavik to the table. So just Denmark, Sweden, and uh, Norway. So and from this uh, from this time, Iceland beca became very active in pursuing Chinese uh, to work on their territory. So there are a lot of Chinese restaurants right now in Reykjavik. It's small part, but they are also drilling in the territories of Iceland, Sinok company, and probably they will also invest in the port, new port. That's also an open question because no one can predict how many container vessels uh, will be in the Arctic right now, and it's because of a lack of uh, lack of prognosis, lack of data. And also, any kind of black swan can come, if you know this kind of concept. Do you know? Black swan, it's like an event that cannot be uh, somehow prognosed or expected, but then it will come, and everything changed. That's why it, uh, every time you read uh, um, any kind of analysis to 2040, 2050, you should take it in, into account. Like basically. It's yes, yes, that kind of, that kind of thing. Or any kind of like bubbles, and um, I would also like to mention another area interesting, but not an emergent topic in the Arctic affairs. It's like cybersecurity of shipping, because uh, yeah, if you are familiar with cybersecurity in maritime industry, it's uh, completely not so secured as other industries, because when we talk about shipping, you just uh, if you don't live near the port, you don't see the scale of trade, right? But just imagine, but there are there were uh, tests uh, three years ago how to interfere into any kind of navigation system on a ship and it can be easily done by SMS or by PDF file or by um, buying a, a kind of transmitter that costs from 1000 to $2000 just to interfere in the whole navigation system of a ship. Oh my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, it is because uh, in in any kind of container shipping trade, uh, uh, up to ten um, points are involved, like port authorities, shippers, forwarders. Even if you track your parcel on a website, like smart hackers, they can go inside the system of the whole companies, like big companies like Merck, for example. So that's uh, also a very critical issue that I believe and I will lobby for it for the next conference, big conference, to, to address to authorities. It could also be the next James Bond movie, basically. You know? Sorry? The next James Bond movie could be about this. <laughs> yeah, because pirates, you know, in Africa, in the, yeah, they have used this kind of transmitters. So just, you have 1,000 dollars in your pocket, then you can see where the ship can go. You can interfere inside the navigation system and just turn it around or just delete any kind of illegal cargo from it, from the system. They can so it's a, it's a big possibility for black economy, <laughs> actually. But I hope uh, companies can can.
can do proper work in this kind, of, but in the Arctic it will be a disaster. Yeah. Just imagine a, a kind of terrorist attack on a ship, any kind of ship. So it will be a huge environment damage, a huge environment damage, and we will close the Arctic for for years in a row. But just imagine if in the ice conditions, yeah, very harsh, harsh conditions, something happens there. Of course, Russia will send nuclear icebreakers just to save the crew, for example. But what about the um, any kind of oil spills? How to take it? Because there is no actual infrastructure. So it's uh, it's an open question. <laughs> well, um, since uh, since I'm doing more realistic research, that's what I'm talking about, uh, and I want to to understand Arctic better in this way. I mean, I'm a realist too, but <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's the point. Always point. For but I hope, I hope uh, my research will help the Chinese government to, to make proper decisions in the future, since we are in a close cooperation with them in terms of uh, Chinese assessment of Arctic in general. So we have started this work like three years ago, so probably something will happen there. So that, that, that's my case. Any other questions? I think that's a wonderful note to close on is the prospect of cybersecurity attacks and oil spills <laughs> in the Arctic. So uh, thank you so much, Arthur. <laughs>